Our Bible reading for, uh, for this morning is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, through chapter 5, verse 10. So while we stay standing together, let me, uh, let me read that passage for us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat for me. It is, uh, please have your Bibles open to that Hebrews passage. I can't even begin to express what an awesome privilege it is to be with you all again. Thank you ever so much for having me. Uh, uh, as Arlen said, my name's Michael. Uh, I love my brothers and sisters here at City Prez, and uh, I bring warm Christian greetings to you all from your brothers and sisters in Christ at Trinity at the Marketplace, and uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, studying this Hebrews 4, 14 to 5, 10 passage together. So if you'd keep that open, uh, have your Bibles open to Hebrews 4 and 5, that would be a great help, and let me just pray for us and ask God to help us understand his word as we study it together. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks that this is love, not that we loved you, but that you loved us and sent Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for performing perfectly in our place, for paying the price for us. Thank you for your incredible grace, your finished work. Thank you that you've restored us to right relationship with you. You've rescued us. You rule over us. Uh, thanks that you're with us, for us, as we sang about on our side. Uh, thanks for your enabling grace. Uh, thanks that you uh, preserve your people. Thank you that you've rescued us. Thanks that you keep us. 
Thanks that you're coming again to get us, to take us, to be with you in the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever. It's amazing. Jesus, you're amazing. Uh, we're so thankful to know you and to belong to you and to worship you. And we pray that you would help us to understand your word. Pray that you would grow our confidence in you and that we would draw near to you for help. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, it's been said that the Christian life is a marathon and not a sprint. Anyone in the room run marathons? And yeah? You're incredible. You're inc that just seems like enormously hard work. And uh, I think I would fall down and die. It's awesome. I, I'm so glad you run marathons. It's, uh, you will have great appreciation of that saying that the Christian life is uh, more a marathon than a sprint. Uh, it involves endurance. It involves perseverance. Uh, as you can tell, I've never run a marathon. Um, but it does seem like a race that uh, takes a lot to get to the finish line. Uh, I have talked with people who have run marathons who have said that they hit something that's called the wall at like mile 20, 21 or something that you've got to get through to be able to finish out. I don't know if that's true or not, uh, but it just sounds like an incredibly different race. I was actually talking to somebody at one of my, uh, I, I was at a track meet all day yesterday. Uh, a few of my kids were competing in. I was talking to somebody, somebody there um, uh, who's, who's just about to go and run a 50-mile race, like an ultimate race or something, whatever they call these things. 50 miles. He's going to run 50 miles in off-road terrain. That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, there's the Christian life. You get in the picture? Difficulty. Hardship. Welcome to church. Thanks for coming today. <laughs> uh, the Christian life is more like a marathon than a sprint. Uh, I've never run a marathon, but I think if I ever do, I'm going to need a lot of help. And wonderfully, that's what the writer to the Hebrews is telling the believer. You have a lot of help. Wonderfully, there is one who is willing and able to give us the help that we need, the mercy and the grace to help in time of need. The writer in this letter is, is exhorting his readers to keep on going with Jesus. They're finding it difficult. They're finding this Christian race difficult. They're finding it difficult to keep on going with Jesus. The writer is exhorting his readers to keep on going in the Christian life. He's urging them to keep on going with Jesus and to keep on worshiping him. He's imploring them not to drift not to drop out of the race. And the question is, how do we endure? He's been talking about all of these people in the Old Testament who didn't. The question is, how do we endure? How do we keep on going? How do we keep from hardening our hearts? What aid is there in this journey? And the answer in this passage is the glorious promise that there is one on the throne who is not only willing, but who is also able to help in our daily need. And so that's what we're looking at together this morning. <clears throat> we're going to look at it under three headings. The first is the one who is able to help. And that's chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. 
So the earlier chapters of Hebrews, uh, the writer says that God has provided a final word in Jesus about a finished work on the cross that guarantees a future world for the Christian believer. And so how are we going to keep on going in the Christian faith as we journey to the new heavens and the new earth? Well, the writer says it is the greatest privilege and the most profound joy for the Christian believer that we have one in heaven who is able to sympathize. We have one in heaven who is perfectly qualified to help us. We have one in heaven who is prepared to come to our aid. Just look at those verses again. Chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, So first of all, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Not only did Jesus leave heaven and come down and perform perfectly in the place of sinful people and pay the price for them as their substitute on the cross in his life and death, but also in his resurrection and ascension, he's returned to heaven. He's enthroned there at the right hand of the Father, and therefore he's well able to help. It's a passage of deep encouragement and great confidence And it actually means that we're to seek our help from him, not from the other places uh, that we're often tempted to run to. We're to seek our help from Jesus and not from alternate places because no other resource is adequate to help, but Jesus will and Jesus can help. The writer is telling us that the Christian The Christian believer has a king. The Christian believer has a brother. The Christian believer has a friend who is on our side. It's what we just sang together. Did you believe it when you sang it? You have great reason to believe it. The Bible tells you that it's the case. Isn't that glorious? Jesus is the risen and reigning king. He's rescued you. He's king forever. You have a king. You've got an inside man. You have a king, a brother, a friend reigning on the throne who's actually able to help, and he really will help. You can go to him with confidence. It's glorious news, isn't it? Christian, how are you and I going to keep on going in the Christian life? Jesus is going to do it. He's the one who didn't only say that. He, He did everything to rescue us. We belong to him because of him. He does absolutely everything to keep us going. It's glorious news. How are we going to keep on going? The Christian life's a marathon. It's hard. I need a lot of help. How am I going to keep on going? Jesus is going to keep me going. And therefore, I need to go to him for the help that I need. This king, this brother, this friend who's on our side, who is for us, who is with us, and who will help us. And he's the one, he, he, he's the one who's actually able to sympathize with our weaknesses. 
the writer says, because he has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, the word sympathize there has to do with the deepest empathy and concern. It's used in other places for a mother caring for her children or for a brother coming to the aid of his siblings. Jesus is gentle and positively sympathizes with those that he represents. He faced all types of temptations and he never sinned. He knows what it's like. He's well able to sympathize. Jesus was tempted in every type of way. It doesn't mean that he faced absolutely every temptation, single temptation that we face, right? Think about it this way. Uh, uh, Jesus was never married, right? So the, the temptations that arise in that kind of context, he didn't face specifically. He was never widowed. So he didn't face those kind of temptations specifically. But Jesus faced every type of temptation that's common to man. Uh, he was tempted in every type of way, so he gets it. He understands. He sympathizes. In fact, Jesus resisted temptation at a far more profound level than you and me ever have. Because he never sinned. He never gave in. He is the only one who never yielded to temptation. And so the only one who really knows what temptation means to the full, uh, the, what would the phrase be? To the nth degree, right? We've never been tempted that way because we're tempted and we fall. He, we sin. He, he was tempted and he never sinned. He knows what it is to be tempted to the full, to the nth degree. He gets it. He sympathizes. And the great news is that he's able to help. We have a family member at the throne of God who is the God-man himself and who is willing and able to help. And the word for help in verse 16 is a word that speaks of critical assistance that meets an urgent situation delivering very needed aid. Are there times in your Christian life where you find it really difficult and you know you need help? Well, that's a normal part of the Christian life. And what the writer to the Hebrews is saying is, we have one in heaven. He's ready, willing, able to help. To give critical assistance that meets an urgent situation delivering very needed aid. Jesus is victorious. He is enthroned. He is qualified. He gives mercy and grace to help. And, the, and the, at what the writer to the Hebrews goes on to do in chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, is actually lay out the qualifications that Jesus has fully met for us. And that leads to our second heading, the, the perfect one to help. So we have one who is ready, able, willing to help, and he is the perfect one to help. The way, the way that the writer uh, highlights for us that Jesus is the perfect one to help is he does this contrast between the high priest in the Old Testament and Jesus is the greater and better high priest. 
So the writer gives us the job description of the Old Testament high priest, first of all, in chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Just look at it again with me. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God just as Aaron was. So there's the job description for the Old Testament high priest. Uh, he had three different things he had to do. He had to deal with sin, first of all. So uh, he had to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He was a mediator uh, who represented the people before God. He was a go-between, if, like, if you like, who acted on behalf of people in relation to God. And uh, so he had to uh, make sacrifices for sin. Secondly, he had to be able to sympathize. He had to sympathize with the people. He had to be understanding. He had to deal gently with the weak and the wayward. And he could do that because he himself was beset with weakness and with sin. And then finally, he had to be appointed by God. Uh, he couldn't just give himself the job. He couldn't say, oh, I think I'm just going to be high priest this year and do it himself. He had to be called by God. Only those appointed by God could fulfill the role and perform the duty. So there's the job description. You have it in your minds? There's the job description of the high priest in the Old Testament. But we've got a problem. We've got a problem. The high priest of the Old Covenant could only go so far. Why could he only go so far? Because he himself was sinful. He could only go so far because of his own sin. He was a sinner. He was weak. He was ignorant. He had to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. You see, the main function of this limited and temporary high priest in the Old Testament was actually to point forward to the greater and better high priest. Right? It's part of the promise and fulfillment, Old and New Testament stuff that's going on. Uh, so his main role was actually to point forward to this greater and better high priest to come, the perfect one who could actually offer the sacrifice that really dealt with our sin, this high priest who was actually the eternal high priest, uh, this priestly king in the order of Melchizedek, as we'll see in just a minute. Uh, that, so the, so the, the high priest in the Old Testament was pointing us forward to this greater and better high priest, but we've got this job description laid out for us, and, and the, the writer is, is laying out this job description for us so that he can show us that Jesus is the fulfillment, that Jesus is the greater and better high priest who actually fits all of the qualifications. And so he gets to Jesus in, in verses 5 to 10, and he gives us the job description again, now in the reverse order, and shows us that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of it, and therefore the one who's qualified. So just pick up at chapter 5, verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed 
by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, So Jesus, uh, let's just go through the qualifications again. Jesus was perfectly selected by God. Verses 5 and 6. He was appointed. High priest had to be appointed by God. Jesus, the greater and better high priest, was appointed by God. Verses 5 and 6 actually bring two Old Testament quotes together. The first is from Psalm 2, verse 7. The other is from Psalm 110, verse 4, showing that Jesus is both God's son and God's high priest. The son language there shows that Jesus is fully God. And the days of his flesh language there in verse 7 shows that Jesus is fully man. So Jesus is the God-man. Fully God and fully man appointed by God to deliver his people and to reconcile us to God. He was appointed. Secondly, Jesus was also Jesus is also perfectly sympathetic to his people. That's verse 7. All the language of crying out and crying, tears. He's experienced the full range of human pressures and yet without sin. He never gave in like we saw at the end of chapter 4. He struggled and he suffered. He knows what it's like. He's able to sympathize with us. He knows what it is to cry out to God and to cry. He understands and he's able to help. So so Jesus perfectly appointed by God. Jesus perfectly able to sympathize with his people. And then finally, Jesus perfectly dealt with sin by his perfect sacrifice of himself. He's the perfect one to help. We need help. And he's the perfect one to help. He was perfect and sinless. So he offered up his perfect and sinless life. And that makes him a perfect high priest because he offered a sacrifice for sin that really worked. And having offered the sacrifice for sin that really worked, death is conquered. He's an eternal priest. He's enthroned as one who is willing and able to help. How are we going to keep on going with Jesus? How are we going to keep on worshiping him? Jesus is going to help us do it. Jesus, the one who rescued us. Jesus, the one who's perfectly qualified. Jesus, the one who reigns forever. Jesus, Jesus, the one seated at the right hand of the Father, seated. His work's a finished work, right? That's what the writer to the Hebrews is driving home. What did Jesus do 
after he got the job done, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. It's a finished work. Jesus, the one who's done absolutely everything to rescue us, is Jesus the one who will help us every single step of the way. That he learned obedience, that can be strange language. Uh, so I don't uh, want any confusion over that, that he learned obedience, that he was made perfect, is all the language of satisfying the job description and the qualifications. That's what the writers at pains to show us. So Jesus is the eternal son of God. He's, the, he, he's God. He's always been obedient. He's always been perfect. He's the sinless savior. Always been obedient, always been perfect, but he had to become fully human in order to satisfy the requirements and be qualified for the job. So Jesus is fully God and he adds to everything that it is to be God, everything that it is to be human except for sin. And he comes down to perform perfectly and he's the greater and better high priest. So he fits the job description. He's appointed by God to do it. He sympathizes with the people of God and he actually offers himself as the perfect sacrifice so that we, our sins can really be forgiven and we can really be restored to right relationship with God. He fully fits the job description and he completely gets the job done. And his death taught him what obedience meant in practice, what it felt like, if you will, what it cost, how much it hurts. He learned the full cost of obedience, which means that he's perfectly qualified. Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins on the cross. He has truly dealt with the sin of his people, and he is the source of our eternal salvation. He's done everything to rescue us, and he's ruling over us. He's totally secured the salvation of his people, our redemption in this world and in the next. Jesus has unblocked the channels of God's mercy and grace. He's able to help, and he's eager to help. He's eager for us to draw near to him, and that leads to our final uh, heading, which actually brings us right back to the beginning. So receiving this one's help. Uh, he is the one who's able to help. He is the perfect one who is able to help. And the invitation of the passage is to draw near to him for the help that we need. Are you finding the Christian life a little bit of hard going right now? Well, that's, that's normal. It's okay. Don't panic. If you're finding the Christian life difficult at the moment, if you're, if, you're, if you're wondering to yourself, how am I going to keep on going in the Christian life? Don't panic. That's normal. That happens in the Christian life. My wife and I have seven children. Uh, our, our, our first baby, uh, Laura, uh, Laura labored with her for over 36 hours, I think. And she only got to four centimeters. Uh, Hannah, Hannah's head was just hitting the pelvic floor over and over and over and over again. And, and Laura was exhausted. And the doctor finally was like, we, we, we're just going to have to get the baby out. So we had to have a cesarean. Uh, a 
Actually, that happened with Hannah and with our twin boys. And, and then Laura was able to have V-bags after that, which was great. Uh, we had the cesarean. So uh, the anesthesiologist was from, was from New Zealand. He was hilarious. Uh, you could tell he'd been doing it for years. Uh, so Laura's on the table. It's weird, man. I don't know if you've ever seen or had a cesarean. It's weird. Laura's on the table. She's awake, but can't feel anything. You know, like they're cutting into her. You know, Hannah's little head pops out. It's nuts. <laughs> and Laura says to the anesthesiologist, uh, Doctor, I just, I'm like, I'm feeling a little queasy. And the doctor just says, that's normal. And, uh, you know, then she's like, oh, I'm feeling cold and I'm starting to shake. That's normal. That's all he kept on saying. I'm like, dude, help me out. Like, my wife's on the table. My baby's coming out. I'm tripping. And, he, and he's, that's normal. That. Christian, you find you finding it difficult at the moment? That's normal. That's normal. Don't panic. Don't panic. You have one in heaven who is willing to help. And the great news is that you have one in heaven who's able to help. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that glorious? The one who is able to help, the perfect one to help while receiving his help. Jesus saves to the uttermost all who draw near to the Father through him. Those who believe in Jesus belong to God forever. And although we are weak and needy, we have this extraordinary privilege of being able to draw near to the throne of grace and to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, the great news is that Jesus is our greater and better high priest. And the application of that is that we get to go to him. And that's actually stressed in the two let us phrases in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 14 and chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, you, you often hear people refer to these, these little segments of Hebrews as the lettuce patches, right? The lettuce patches of Hebrews. We've got one of those lettuce patches today. We've got two lettuce phrases. So end of verse 14. Let us hold fast our confession. And then beginning of verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Uh, the exhortation and the encouragement from the writer to the Hebrews to keep on going and to stick with Jesus and not to drift, but to keep on running, that was never meant to suggest that we're to keep on going alone. It was never meant to suggest that we were to keep on going left to ourselves. It was meant to show us our dependence on the Lord so that we would confidently go to him and that we would confidently keep on going to him, relying on him and receiving from him the help that we need. Uh, so, so let us, first of all, hold fast our confession. That is, hold firmly to the faith in Jesus that we profess. Let's remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Let's continue. Let's keep, like Luther said, let's keep on preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. Ask him for help to do it, and he'll give us the help to do it. 
We keep on preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. We keep on believing the gospel. The gospel keeps on doing its work, right? Remember, remember, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. In Acts, he says he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the sanctification of all who believe. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to sanctify you, change you, transform you, like it's doing among all those who are being sanctified, right? It's, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. The, the word there is, is, is dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite from. The gospel is the power of God to save you and to sanctify you. Let us hold fast our confession. Keep on preaching the gospel to ourselves by the wonderful grace of God and let the gospel do what the gospel does. Let's remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what he's done, that Jesus is the God-man, that he's done everything to get us back and to reconcile us to God. We have a real relationship with him, and we can receive from him the mercy and grace we need to help in time of need, to help us to keep on going. And then secondly, let us draw near. Draw near there is actually a present continuous. It means draw near and keep on drawing near. Christian, are you drawing near to the throne of grace? Are you drawing near to the throne of grace? Draw near and continue to draw near. And drawing near is a matter of confidence. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. And confidence is a word that means confidence to speak. So what's the writer saying? We can pray. We can speak to God. We can cry out to him. We can cry to him, fully assured that because of Jesus, we have open access to the throne of grace and fully assured that Jesus is there willing and able to help. There is in heaven one who is willing and able to help us. We are weak and needy. We need his help. And we can expect his real help. That's the confidence. We can cry out to him for it with the confidence that he'll give it to us as his people and that he is sufficient and that he is our sufficiency. It's great comfort. It's great comfort. Uh, if you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, uh, may I just say thank you so much for coming. If you're here, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're just investigating Christian things, you're, you're trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is and what he's on about, uh, thank you so, 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 so much for coming. Can I just say a super, super warm welcome to you? And, uh, and, and can I just urge you uh, to keep on coming along, keep on coming, keep on asking us questions about these things. Uh, uh, we're so, so grateful that you're here. Uh, and, and let me just say to you that this passage is inviting you to go to Jesus for the eternal salvation that you need. Uh, you have not been appointed by God to save yourself. And nobody else has been appointed by God to save you except Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And the invitation of this passage for you this morning is actually to go to Jesus and receive from him the eternal salvation 
that you need and that only he can give. He's the one who alone is qualified to perform perfectly for you and to pay the price for you. Jesus is the only one who can actually really deal with your sin. He's the only one who can really forgive you and restore you to right relationship with God. Uh, You receive it all from him. I had a friend once who prayed to receive Jesus by simply saying, Jesus, let's get it on. Just go do that. You don't, you don't have to listen to any more of this. If you're here this morning, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You're recognizing your need for Jesus just at this moment. Then don't listen to another thing I'm about to say. Just go to Jesus. Receive from him the salvation that only he can give. He was appointed by God to do it. He fulfilled the job description. He can sympathize. He can sympathize. He paid for sin. He paid for sin. Trust him. If, if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, you're a Christian, uh, uh, then thanks for coming. Thanks for being with God's people. Thanks for being with the blood people of God today. Thanks for coming. Uh, we're super glad you're here. And, uh, and let me just say that this passage is telling you and me that we need to keep on going to Jesus for help. He's rescued us, restored us to right relationship with him. We belong to him forever. Our sins are forgiven. Our guilt's put away. Isn't it glorious? Isn't the gospel, doesn't the gospel, it just is take your breath away great news, isn't it? And the wonderful invitation of this passage is Christian for the marathon, for the marathon of the Christian life, go to Jesus and keep on going to Jesus. Continue to draw near to him in prayer. Every day, draw near to him. Throughout the day, draw near to him. At set times, draw near to him all the time. Draw near to him and do it with confidence. He's willing and able to help. He's the perfect one. You'll receive it from him. You see, the intention of this passage is to throw us onto Jesus, to go to him and to keep on going to him. So let's do that now. Let's go to him now. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just give you such praise and thanks for your redeeming grace. We're so thankful that you performed perfectly in the place of sinful people like us, that you paid the price as our substitute on the cross, uh, that you were were put out so that we could be brought in, uh, that you were condemned so that we could be forgiven. It's glorious. It's great news. We're so grateful for it. We're so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you are the eternal high priest, the greater and better high priest, uh, that, that you've done everything to rescue us and, uh, and that you reign and, um, and that you invite us to come to the throne of grace and to receive grace and mercy to help in time of need. And so, Lord Jesus, we come crying out to you and pray that you'd help us uh, to, uh, to, to hold fast our confession uh, to keep on believing the gospel, to stick with you, and, uh, and to keep on drawing near to you uh, for help uh, to keep on going. And thanks that, you, uh, that you're going to take us to be with you in the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever and ever, where we'll worship you forever. Help us to worship you now, and thanks that we're going to worship you forever. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.